Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me making his triumphant, highly anticipated return to the PDO Cast, it's Uncle Jeff Merrick. Jeff, what's going on, man? <laughs> Two things. One, I totally cheated on the assignment this week, Dimitri. Mm-hmm. And two, Haley Salvian's a jerk. Where do you want to start? <laughs> um, either one. Both are good. I mean, no, you choose. You're the host. I used to always hijack this show and and host over top of you, but I am I'm I'm softening in my older age. Well, let's let's start with Haley because that was the most recent video cast. Haley Salvian's a jerk. You know why? Why? Because she doesn't even realize how good she is. Mm-hmm. So I've been a, a fan of hers. I think like everybody else for a while. Actually, here you want a little quick little factoid. Mm-hmm. Back when she was the uh, the in house announcer. Uh, I shouldn't say in-house announcer, in-stand announcer at the Oshawa Generals games. My first contact with Haley was she gave my son a puck at uh, Oshawa Generals, I think, Belleville Bulls game or Oshawa Generals Windsor Spitfires game. That's where I first met Salvian. Um, and then it seems like, you know, five minutes after that, she's a big star. <laughs> and here's why I hate her. Because she doesn't even realize how good she is and how good she's going to be. Like that old saying, youth is wasted on the young. Every time that I read something Salvian writes or hear on, you know, most recently the PDO cast with you, I say to myself, like, there is a star in the making with Salvian. And then I'll, like, pick up the phone and call her. Like, I was listening halfway through your podcast with her. I called her up, and this is when she was talking about Eugene Melnick. <laughs> and I called her up, and I'm like, hey, that's some good stick handling. And she started talking. I'm like, you know you're really good, right? Like, it's oblivious to her, like, just how good she really is. And congratulations to Salvian on uh, on getting the Calgary assignment, which is a plum one for the athletic. And I don't know. I just uh, – I, I, I look at people like Haley Salvian. I look at, you know, younger people in the industry that – that write and speak uh, much differently than I do or, or anybody else of, of my vintage. And I, I get excited about the industry again. Like there's a, I was saying this hobby the other day, like, 
because we were talking about, you know, her writing. And I said, like, you know, there's like an empathy that you have in your writing that comes through. You're oblivious to it. Like, you're in the middle, the middle of it, solving. You don't understand it. But there is an empathy that comes through in your writing that is really perceptible, I think, by everybody except for you. Do you understand how hard that is to do? And she's clueless. You know what's even harder to do? The professionalism she showed. She knew she was going out the door, wasn't going to be covering the senators anymore, and she's still... Get her tongue and refrain from taking pot shots where they would have been highly warranted. Um, well, it, it, see, I was, I, was, I was listening to the pod and I'm like, I wonder if she take because there's an there's an easy way to do the uh, the Melnick question, right? Which is, oh well, you know, uh, half the people in Ottawa dislike him and the other half hate him. Ha 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 ha. And then you sort of have the conversation <laughs> right. from there. But you know, there was an interesting podcast he did with her about the sins, and he spent a good chunk talking about Eugene. And I'm I'm of a couple of minds on it, and the one is. You know, he's a throwback owner, like regardless of you know how he might, you know, embarrass the organization, how fans think about him, et cetera. I mean, he really is a throwback to a different era. Like I grew up in Toronto and I grew up in the era of Harold Ballard, who was one of, you know, the wildest, craziest owners, you know, the uh, the NHL has ever seen. Um, and I always do sort of wonder as the game becomes more corporate and more professional and be honest about it, you know, it is, uh, I wonder if we've lost something by no longer having that crazy owner personality in the game. Like there are still individuals that own the Jeffrey Vanek is a wonderful example. Congratulations, Tampa Bay Lightning on winning the Stanley cup. But I, I wonder if the game like, it is something that's that's lost. I just wonder how profound the loss is. Like, should we just, should we say to ourselves, okay, that's the byproduct of a different era. Let's turn the page on that. Or do you say, you know what? There was something valuable about having the crazy owner that you didn't know, you know, what he was going to do from one day to another to incite his fan base. I don't know, Dimitri. We're off to a roaring start here. We're five minutes in and we have not even introduced the concept of today's show in spectacular Jeff Merrick fashion. Um, Let me tee us up and then we'll get into your second point there about the homework. So I haven't had you on in a couple of years now and I knew that to reintroduce you to the show, we'd have to do something special. We couldn't just have a regular podcast talking about mundane topics. And so what's more special than my personal favorite show to do every year, the watchability rankings, where we're going to count down from 31 to 1. Teams based on entertainment value, and uh, and so that's your cue here. Well, how how do you cheat your homework today? I cheated, and this is a wink at the conversation. I'll reference your podcast again, since this podcast is one of uh, the ones that I never miss. Like there are a few, like whenever a new effectively wild podcast comes out, like I love baseball and I love that podcast. I don't miss that. Anything Dan Carlin puts out, I gobble that up. Anytime Fred Kaplan is on a podcast, um, I'll, I'll listen. So I tend to listen to a lot of slate podcasts. Um, but yours is, is, is one that I always listen to. And I'll reference your conversation with Chris Johnson from a, from a couple of weeks ago when you guys were talking about the Canadian division or the North division. And I understand that I say this selfishly as an employee of Rogers, hmm. who works at Sportsnet in, in the hockey department. Um, every single game is going to be awesome. And not just the game itself, but the fan bases around it. And you guys talked a lot about uh, Canucks Twitter and what Canucks Twitter is going to be like this season, what Oilers Twitter is going to be like, what Leafs Twitter is going to be like. Like, I don't know. It's funny. I was talking to our uh, Hockey Central radio producer the other day, Matt Marchese, about this very thing that you guys were talking about on the PDO cast, and that is, you know, how do you capture that? How do you capture that 
thing that's going to be the conversation around the games? How do you capture that on radio? How do you capture that on podcasts? I don't have an answer for it. I, I have no idea. All I know is all these games are going to be emotionally charged. And whether the game is good or not, I think the environment around it is going to make them good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. history is kind to it. We just had the uh, the anniversary um of the uh, of the uh, the Red Army Montreal Canadiens game. And if you go back and watch it, it's a it's a good game. I don't know that I'd call the game necessarily great by how it was it was played. I mean, there were great performances. Trechak was outstanding uh, in that game. That is a command performance. Ken Dryden is quite average in that game. Like it wasn't a, a command game from from both sides, but everything around the game has made it larger than life, and every rush, every rebound uh, became that much more emotionally charged. And I think that that's what we're going to see with the uh, with the North Division. And so I've lumped them all into one. Okay. So if I can, st- if I'm going to start with the top, I'm going to put no, no, all no. of the Canadian all the Canadian division plus Colorado. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's going to be my start. That, that, so that's how I cheated. I mean, I agree with you, and we're going to get into all that. We can we can break them down one by one. I think you know. I wanted to start this off with a quick little thing about sort of our methodology or kind of what we're looking for to give people a, a behind the curtain look of like how we came across these rankings or sort of what, what we're favoring, right? And so certainly I think talent is relevant because, you know, that t- generally tends to lead to better, more kind of efficient, beautiful hockey. And we're looking for that and we want to see the best players play. But I think being a good team doesn't necessarily mean you're a very exciting team to watch as we're going to get into here as we go along, especially if you're a more sort of defensively oriented team, but things I'm looking for are kind of like, you know, style system, playing with pace, uh, obviously personnel and the talent team dynamics. And this kind of gets into what you're saying with the North division, I think sort of games of consequence or relevance, right? Like what people are going to be talking about, what every night people are going to be tuning into, um, just kind of being part of that sort of, uh, virtual water cooler phenomenon right where you just go on twitter and everyone's going to be watching calgary versus edmonton it might not necessarily be the most beautifully most efficiently played game it might be sloppy there might be a bunch of penalties but people are going to be watching and people are going to be talking about it and you can't kind of overlook that sort of element to it one of the things that i wonder about too as, as we get into this uh the games are going to change and they always do all season long like how many times have you how many times have you watched a game, Dimitri, in January and said to yourself, oof, that looked like an October game? Because to your point, oh, it's sloppy. A lot of passes are going off the heel and going off the toe. And it doesn't, oh, look at the breakdowns. Look at the turnovers. And that can lead to, listen, a lot of excitement. And that's, I think, one of the attractions about things like junior hockey, specifically because, you, you know, in an NHL game, you'll have like three major breakdowns. In junior hockey, you'll have 30. Um, so I think that becomes more attractive. So a lot of this, I think, is speculation on where it's going to end up keeping in mind we're not going to have a full 82 game season so we're going to spend about how many do you figure dimitri 10 games each of some pretty sloppy hockey until this thing settles in and we have a good idea of what these teams are really going to be about because let's be honest like no exhibition games um it was like five minutes ago they just you know wrapped up in the bubbles uh I'm not expecting, quote-unquote, great hockey off the hop, but that's okay because I still think it's going to be entertaining. Yeah, I think it's going to be compensated for with sort of not necessarily passion because I think whenever you step on the ice then in an NHL game, there's going to be a certain level of passion, but maybe pressure or the inability to 
throw games away for a lot of these teams, right? We're talking about a 56 game season here. It's not like the typical 82 game marathon where you can have four straight stinkers and sort of just write off a week long trip to Florida or something, right? Like in this case, each game is going to have so much more significance for the playoff picture. And so for a lot of these teams, especially in the middle there, like you can't really afford to take any games for granted. And so while I'd normally say, yeah, it's going to be a sort of a slow feel out period. And I think there's going to be teams with veterans that might be in a more comfortable position that are resting those guys or maybe sitting them on a second of a back to back or managing their minutes like they do in the NBA. Mm -hmm. A lot of these teams won't have the luxury to do that, I think, unless they're really sort of rolling the dice or have the real kind of big picture view in mind. That, that's, a, that's a really good point. And I, I think that I, one of the things that I wonder about too is um, how players are going to treat this season. Like there are, like we all, like we, I think it's folly to expect NHL players to be game seven, 82 times a year in the regular season. Like, I think we're all in the same, like you can't, you can't do it. Like you need to pace yourself through a season. That's why I always talk about, you know, oh, he's he's hit the, the the college wall in January, February, or, you know, it's a rookie season coming. He's not used to this pace for, you know, sustain this long, and he hasn't been able to pace himself um, through a season. Now that we have a, a shortened one, and it is a sprint out of the gate, you know, are we going to see players... I mean, players really don't have the luxury in a lot of ways to pace themselves. Like, there's one, there's one superstar player... Um, who told me like, look, I would go up to my coach every year and this is like high end superstar and say that like 30 games of the year, I'm going to be the best player on the ice. I'm going to look like I'm bound for the hall of fame. I'm going to have two goals and two assists. I'm going to be first star, all of it. Then there's going to be 30 games where you can't find me except on the game sheet. And for the other 22, we're just going to see how I feel that day. And you don't like to hear that as a fan because a, you're invested emotionally, and a lot of times you're invested financially, and you don't want to go to the game when the superstar player is pacing himself uh, during the season. But it's a Tuesday night in whatever market, and he's just gonna take it easy that game. Um, I, I I wonder if players, because there are plenty that do that. I wonder how players, or if at all, they're going to pace themselves through a season like this i don't know the answer thank you for sharing that beautiful conversation with johnny goodrow i really appreciate it <laughs> it was not johnny goodrow actually that is it is it is someone who is no longer in the nhl okay, good 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 um okay so we're gonna count this good, down yeah, good, yes. <laughs> we're good, gonna yes. get into this um so <laughs> i like I, I say this every year as a disclaimer people will not listen but doesn't matter if a team is 22nd or 9th it's much more important to listen to the actual logic we present and also what we're looking for and it's not necessarily correlated with being good if we say your team is the 24th most entertaining team they might be the 7th best actual team so um the guiding principle here is we're sitting at home on a tuesday night it's a regular nhl slate where there's a ton of games on everyone's playing you have eight games to choose from who are you prioritizing to watch what team are you looking what, what do you want to see with them when you watch them? And so we're going to use this as an opportunity to just talk about every team. So I'll give you the floor. Let's start us off with your list. Who do you have as the 31st team? Uh, which one I start for? So I sort of uh, have them in clusters. Okay. And uh, the, the first cluster that I have is a combination. And this one team, I mean, things really changed at the World Juniors when, when Kirby Doc got hurt and then Jonathan Taves said, hold on a second, I'm not coming. And the Blackhawks are in a cluster with uh, the Arizona Coyotes uh, and the New York Islanders uh, for me. And this is this is to your previous point. 
just because you say a team isn't interesting to watch doesn't mean it's not a good team because we all saw what the New York Islanders um, did, uh, uh, did, did last season. So I'm not saying the Islanders are a bad team, but when you look at the style of play and now you've lost uh, Devon Taves for salary cap reasons and Boychuk calls it a career and, you know, Matthew Barzell is, you know, the best person I probably compared him to is probably Denny Savard. Um, the nature of how he plays and that water bug excitement that he brings to the game, that's one of the reasons why you do tune in um, to the to New York Islanders. The style is successful. I get it. Doesn't mean we have to like it. Um, but that I, I sort of clustered that first group as, you know, the Arizona Coyotes who bless them. I mean, <laughs> her. And there's more pain on the horizon, too, and I wouldn't be surprised if they revisited an Oliver ekman Larson deal at, at, at some point. I put that first cluster as the Coyotes, the Blackhawks, who are just sizzled down the middle, and the New York Islanders. Yeah, so what I did is I have about six teams, I think, here at the bottom, and I classify them as the bad teams. And I have the Chicago Blackhawks at 25 on my list, and they're part of that tier. And I yeah. think I actually surprised myself with that because when I initially sort of made my first foray into this exercise and, and jotting down teams, I envisioned them being much higher because they're, you know, in theory, it's like, oh, there's some offensive skill on this team. They're so bad defensively. I think the past couple of years, they've played a lot of very entertaining games where you look at the scoreboard and it's six, five for whoever they're playing. And you're like, okay, like I need to catch up on this. I need to see what happened. There's going to be some highlights here, but then I took a, a closer look at their actual current active roster. And obviously it's unfair because we'll see what will happen with Jonathan Taves. Hopefully uh, he'll be fine and he'll be playing back sooner rather than later. We know Kirby Doc's going to be out for a couple months with his wrist surgery, but you, you, you hit the nail on the head, especially down the middle. This is their current death chart, right? Uh, Dylan Strom, Carl Soderberg, mm-hmm. who they just signed, Lucas Walmark, who they just signed and camp. That's it. That's down the middle. Yep. And then it's a team that also, you know, lost Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard over the past year in net. You've got a combination there of Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban, who have played one NHL game combined since last February. Uh, a blue line that is very suspect. And I think they're going to be in some high scoring games, but I think they might just be so bad <laughs> that it won't be particularly watchable. So I, I actually dropped them way down my list compared to where I had them uh, kind of off the jump. Yeah, no, the the Hawks are in a tough spot. Like, it's, uh, put, put it this way. They're in a tough spot, but, Dimitri, no one is going to listen to this podcast right now and feel bad if the Chicago Blackhawks, um, as they, you know, flash their three Stanley Cup rings. No one's going to feel bad for that organization. No one's going to feel bad uh, for Stan Bowman. No one's going to feel bad for any of the, the dynasty guys, the future Hall of Famers. Uh, on that team because you know this is it doesn't have to be but this is generally the byproduct of being a very successful team for a very long time this is pain uh and this is lottery territory again for the for the blackhawks and and you do you do wonder at at which point you know the blackhawks because they've already you know written their rangers note you know uh stan bowman has already you know done the 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 media tour uh, you know, hey, we're throwing in the towel. We're rebuilding here. We're redeveloping this thing. We're, you know, keep keep as many people on the same page as possible. But you wonder at what point, you know, they've made painful cuts before. You do start to wonder at what point, whether it's Keith, who might be the most obvious one, or may dare I even say Patrick Kane, 
at what point do you start saying, for the good of the franchise in the future, we need to do this? Well, I wonder if this sort of hastens that along. Yeah, they acknowledge it with that note, but it feels like for whatever reason, and maybe the media is partly to blame here, but it seems like we keep expecting something different, even though this has been happening for a couple of years now. I remember there was a stretch last season where they rattled off a couple of wins in a row and were only like four or five points out of the wild card, and people were like, oh, here comes Chicago. Like, Don't it's like, count no. out the hawk. It's like, no, I'm counting them out. They're not good. Like, if you look at this, the, the talent on this team, it's not what it used to be, and that's fine. They won three Stanley Cups. It's okay. They should start. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd actually rank them higher on my list if I had complete confidence that we're going to see a lot of Adam Boquist and Ian Mitchell and these young defensemen. But, you know, they trade for Nikita Zidorov. The Duncan Keith is still going to be on their top pair, at least for the time being. And so... It's one thing to say we acknowledge we're going to be bad, but then when you have all these proud veterans who used to be really good, it's really tough to just completely turn that over, especially kind of on the fly in season like that. Yeah, it's tough to walk away. I I I, I understand it. It's um, but you know what it's like too, because we've seen this going back to, I mean, what was the first collapse? The uh, the four game sweep by Nashville. Mm-hmm. That was when we said, "Whoa." Yep. And anyone who, you know, paid attention to, to five on five production said, hold on a second here. You know, the Preds and the Hawks are more similar than they were different. This really isn't an upset unless you just look at it and say it's a it's a one. Ver- I think it was a one versus eight uh, in that one. I mean, but that was the one sort of public. That was the, the public need that the Chicago Blackhawks would think that was the beginning of it. And ever since then, it's just, you know, remove another brick, remove another brick, remove another brick. It's like, you know, you go to the zoo and you see that kid that just, you know, lost his or her balloon. And they do that thing where they gesture up into the sky trying to grab the string of the balloon. But you're just like, oh, kid, it's gone. Like, it ain't, yeah. <laughs> it ain't, it ain't coming back anymore. That's that's kind of like how you see the Hawks right now. Yeah. Not there. Right now. Well, other than being really thin down the middle on the blue line and in that, I think they're, they're pretty... <laughs> They're a pretty complete team built on the wings. Um, uh, yeah. I had I had the Coyotes at 29th on my list, similarly with those bad teams. And the reason why I had them that low, so I only had the wings and the Kings lower than them this season, is because I just can't think of a more bleak situation in the NHL right now than theirs. Just purely from a asset perspective of what Bill Armstrong walked into and what he currently has at his disposal. If you just think about they don't have their first round pick this year. So I guess they're going to try to be good. But then their captain, Oliver Ekman Larson, looked like he was like had one foot out the door uh, last yep. offseason. And then now that's going to be hanging over their heads. And not to mention, they're paying him a ton of money. He's in year two of an eight year deal worth a cap hit of north of eight million. And he's turning 30. And his performance has been dropping the past couple of years. Um, they're spending real money like the sort of hidden subplot was they made that Derek Stepan trade to Ottawa because they had to because they have so many uh, financial cap commitments long-term ones um they have to play the Avs eight times after what Nathan McKinnon did to them in the bubble that's not good um I'd say the Kachina jersey and also the fact that I think they're going back to that half moon as their center ice logo are like the biggest selling points for me tuning into their games. And uh, that's not a good thing when we're talking about it. Like they're yeah. from the personnel perspective, like I'm curious to see if Barry Hayden can become an NHL regular. Like there's a lot of stories, but every team has those types of situations, right? We can get into that with Detroit. They have a bunch of players where you want to see if they're going to stick in the league. So I, it's just not enough for me to, to tune into Coyotes games this season unless I have to. 
The one thing that we saw with uh, with Chaika was is when he identified a young player that he wanted, he locked him up long term. And uh, a few of those, you know, you say to yourself, okay, I can I can I can see that. Maybe you look at the Chikrin deal. You can say, all right, that makes some sense. Um, but there are just you know too many. I mean, Nick Schmaltz is the one that that really stands out um, at the 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 five point eight going through to twenty five twenty six. I mean, that's a that's a tough one. Um, Clayton Keller's contract is a tough one uh, to swallow, both in terms of the number and the term as well. Um, like there are there are good players on that team, but when you measure up, you know what they're being compensated and for how long they're being compensated. You're right. Like this is, you know, this is a tough. This is this is that Gordian knot that that Armstrong is going to have to to undo here. Not unlike what we saw, you know, Bill Guerin walk into in Minnesota. Like how, like, no matter what you want to do, like there's there's still like a a, a lot of pain with contracts there uh, that you need to unravel. It's not impossible to do it. Um, it's just tough, and especially now with a with a flat cap, which may end up just being the killer. For the Arizona Coyotes, it's it's tough to undo these problems quickly when you have so much term attached to players that were identified early and compensated well for that length of time. I'm I'm with you. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding for for Arizona once again. Let's get into my my worst team here, the Detroit Red Wings. Um, and why do you have them as the worst? Okay, so a recurring theme for me, one of my guiding principles for my list was I typically need at least two to three good above average NHL defensemen that can move the puck because my favorite type of hockey is free flowing five on five action where teams are just jetting through the neutral zone. And we know like Dylan Larkin can do that on his own. The issue is when you have defensemen who are constantly just going off the glass and out or trying to make those passes and not succeeding, it just leads to ugly hockey and you're kind of constantly chasing the game. And I just don't see that with them. Like at least, you know, they brought in a guy like Troy Stetcher that'll help so that Philip Pronick doesn't need to do every single breakout pass. But ultimately you look at this team and last year, um, they were one of the worst goal scoring teams in terms of creating offense that we've seen in the past 20 years. And they were also one of the worst defensive teams in terms of goal prevention that we've seen over the past 20 years. And it led to that historically bad goal differential and win percentage. And, you know, there's things I'm interested in here, certainly. Like, I I, I want to see if Philip Zadina can score a lot of goals. He's going to get the opportunity. Uh, towards the end of last year, he had some big uh, ice time performances, and it feels like they're finally ready to sort of uh, give him a real extended look there. But I don't know what... Maybe this is going to be a team where I'm going to watch them more in the second half of the season, because if you look at what Steve Eiserman did this offseason, he added a bunch of players who are on expiring deals or can be flipped yep. as veterans at the deadline. And so I don't really need to watch... Um, you know, the Sam Gagne's of the world and stuff. I'd much rather watch the young players to see what they have and kind of scout them. And so I think we're going to see a lot more of that as the year goes along. But to start, I think they're going to give some extended looks to some of these veterans to potentially feature them in trades down the line where they can add more second, third, fourth round picks. It's pretty obvious what they're doing. Yeah. I think, I think this is completely transparent. I don't think that, you know, catch anyone in the organization and, and talk about the players that they have on on expiring deals and talk about trade deadline and what that means for a player like Bobby Ryan, what that means for uh, Sam Gagne, Vlad Nemesikov's got uh, an extra year on term. But you're right, like they have players that would be desirable come trade deadline time for teams that have playoff aspirations and maybe have holes to fill by way of injury or otherwise. 
Um, but one of the one of the curious names here, and when it comes to Detroit, like I love Dylan Larkin. Like I, we're all in the same. Anthony Mantha's just a wonderful player to watch as well. Um, I'm really curious to watch Moritz Sider at the at the NHL level, and I'm sure you've seen all the viz of him playing. Uh, so far, and just rocking guys like he's like the new Cronwall <laughs> in some ways, um, and 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 probably more skilled as well. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see what what Cider does uh, on this team. Like that's the thing about Detroit. Like I don't think you're looking for wins and losses when it comes to Detroit. This is a situation. And oh, by the way, I, I think you, you nailed it too. With like, if you don't have the defenseman to get the forwards, the pucks, like all of a sudden, like all the. All the, all the wonderful things you could see out of the forwards vanish. And that was the Oilers story for the longest time when it was Hall and Eberle and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and no one getting them the puck and they're out of the playoffs by Christmas and all of a sudden everyone just quits and the season dies and it's all predicated on, well, we don't know how good Hall is. We don't know how good Eberle is because no one can get these guys the puck. So we just don't know. And I think you, you look at the Red Wings maybe and you say the exact same thing. But uh, I think when you when you look at the Wings, I think the only question you have when you watch them this year is, are the kids getting better? Is Zadina getting better? Is Cider getting better? Like I, I think you, you, you look at, you know, you, even, you know, even a guy like – Robbie Fabry is only what, 25 years old. Like Robbie Fabry feels like he's been around forever. Um, and it's still like he's not uh, an old player by any stretch of the imagination. But I think that you look at a Detroit Red Wings game, I don't think you're going in there saying, like, hey, I want to see the Red Wings, you know, beat whomever. I just want to see are these players developing? Are these players getting better? I don't care if it's a lottery team again, and it just might be. I just want to know if these kids are improving. Yeah, and, and and that's fun. Just having that uh, recognition that you know there's going to be a Morris Sider, there's going to be a Lucas Raymond down the road, there's going to be another top five pick from this year. There's a lot of prospects you're watching the World Juniors now, and it seems like every other player is either a Kings or a Red Wings prospect. And yeah. I think also the fact that they're in a different spot now than they were maybe two years ago, where it's like you're looking at the uphill battle of man, we have so much future money tied up in in aging veterans, and that's kind of a bleak situation to be in. At least now, moving forward, they're going to have a ton of draft capital. And they're going to have a ton of opportunity because they haven't clogged their cap sheet with all those old contracts are kind of expiring now. And so there's an opportunity there to add. I just think in terms of especially to start out this year, I think it's probably going to be some pretty ugly hockey. And uh, and that's why someone has to be at the bottom of my list. And that's also why I have the Kings at 30. Um, so I have so my, my next group I have my next group does have Detroit in it as well. Okay. I also do have the Kings. I've got this is a, a, a bigger group. I've got the Kings, the Wings. Uh, Devils, Ducks, Cats, Wild, and I sort of have San Jose out on their own island, so I'll cap it at Minnesota right there. But those, that's that next group okay. for me. Well, let's, let's, Minnesota, Florida, Detroit, New Jersey, Anaheim, LA. Let's do the Kings, the Ducks, the two California teams, and the Devils because they're still in my bad teams bucket at the okay. bottom there. Um, so with the Kings, they're in such a better position right now than they were at this time last year. When I did this exercise, I had them as the 31st team last year. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't see how they get out of this because you looked at how much money they had tied up in veterans. And now you look at it and within the next two years, pretty much all those contracts other than Kopitar and Dowdy are going to be off the books. I think everyone universally agrees they have the best group of prospects in the league. They have a ton of assets coming. And I think there's also the fact that you watched it towards the end of last year when they started winning some games 
Todd McClellan kind of was implementing this this structure where they were had these really solid underlying numbers where they were playing much faster, they were playing better. They just kind of don't have the talent or the finishers necessarily yet that can turn that process into results. But they could very well wind up being much higher on my list as the year gets going because they actually were playing a, a fairly aesthetically pleasing brand of hockey despite not having uh, kind of big flashy names yet. And that is, that's an organizational philosophy. You know, when it became pretty obvious that the Los Angeles Kings, like that dynasty where they won a couple of Stanley Cups, dynasty, um, that era where they won a couple of Stanley Cups, like when that was officially done and over, you know, we all looked at the Los Angeles Kings and said, wow, throwback wins. I mean, it was a straight line team, possession monsters, but they may have been the slowest team. I shouldn't say that. They were the slowest team of the salary cap era to win a Stanley Cup, and they did it twice. And organizationally, the philosophy completely changed. And they went about, um, and maybe the only, one only deviation was drafting Gabe Velarde from the Windsor Spitfires, who even though he wasn't fast, dots down, there was probably no one stronger in his draft class. They went for speed. Like you look at every single move, every single pick, like all of it, like organizationally, it was bring in speed, more of the Adrian Kempis. Like that was the philosophy. And you're seeing it now. Like what's the most recent signing? Andreas Athanasiu, who straight line, you know, from red line to red line, may be the fastest player in the NHL. Not necessarily with, you know, with the, with the puck on his stick. That's Connor McDavid territory, but just straight line skating, like just speed. Andrea Athanasiu might be the fastest skater in the entire NHL. Like that's what they have gone for. That's what the premium is right now with the with the Los Angeles Kings. So even though the um, you know the the talent might not have be be close to actualizing there right now, I, I'm with you. There's still there's some reason now to be excited. Maybe not about you know the LA Kings this season. Although I think in their mind their their rebuild is over and they have the the pieces in place for the future. But this is a team that in a couple of years is going to be, you know, right back in there for a playoff position. And it's because organizationally they said, that's it. If you can't skate, you can't play with the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah, no, they're set up well and they're going to be shooting up this list. It's just a matter of probably another year or two before a lot of those names do sort of funnel into the lineup. Um, Where are you on Doughty? Speed bump. He just just hasn't been very good lately. And I get it's a different environment in, in the sense that the team around him got a lot worse but since he got that big contract he hasn't looked like peak drew dowdy and I, I think it's weird that he's blaming the media on it recently like this isn't some sort of fabrication to create clicks and to get people talking like if he played better i don't think people would be knocking him for his play i think it's as simple as that i don't think there's some sort of a hidden agenda where we all have a a hockey journalist meeting and we're like, okay, who are we going to target next? Hmm. That drew Dowdy. Let's, let's get him. Let's bring him down with us. And it's like, no, he just hasn't looked, he hasn't looked the same physically. I don't know how much of it is his age, how much of it is all the miles he put on his body, how much of it is it's not as a competitive an environment. So he's kind of pacing himself. And maybe once the team around him gets better, you're going to see him get kind of more re re-energized and re-engaged, but he just, his his numbers and his actual eye test have not looked the same as Drew Doughty three, four, five years ago. Yeah. Now, now that see, the, the, the thing to me, Dimitri, is now that he's acknowledged it publicly, he's put it on himself. Now he's drawn that. It's, like, I'm, I'm curious to see the season that Doughty has now. Like Players have, listen, it happens. And last year, by, in, by any measure, like that was a bad season for Drew Doughty. Like, 
we could all be on this. And it happens. Players have in every sport. It's one of those seasons where it just wasn't, it wasn't there for me. But now that he's acknowledged it publicly and has sort of indicated that he has a chip on his shoulder because of it, I'm curious to see the season that he has. Like, I always love athletes that do that, that will put that on themselves and say, really, you don't think that I'm about that anymore? Let's just see. So now I'm, I'm curious to see what, what Doughty does. Because it's one thing to ignore it and just let it float out into the ether, and it's another to acknowledge it and make it part of your story. And no matter what happens this year, that is going to be part of Drew Doughty's story. Well, and he's stylistically a player that you think shouldn't have fallen off this badly unless he's hurt or unless there's a motivation issue, right? Like, I, I just, I, I think it's as simple as that. And so uh, he certainly has the most motivation heading into this year. We'll see. I still think the team around him yeah. will be that much better. So he doesn't sound like he has the torn motivator cuff at no, all. No, um, He is interesting, too. And, you know, we just saw this with Anthony DeClaire. We've seen this with Nick Backstrom the phenomenon of the player that represents himself, which I can understand why players do it. Although I do understand that a lot of general managers don't like it. And it flies sort of in the face of what you might think, Oh, we'll get the agent out of the way and we'll just deal with the player. Ha ha ha. We can, we can mess with them in the, in the contract because, you know, here's a guy that dropped out of high school in grade 11 and, you know, I'm going to mess with them in this contract. General managers like to have a buffer between the player and the GM. So if you want to give Doughty a blast, you don't call Doughty, you call the agent, and then the agent massages it in. <laughs> in a situation like this, and I know there was a relationship between the previous general manager, Dean Lombardi, and Drew Doughty, and that's how it happened. And Backstrom has been with the Capitals forever, and there's a relationship there. Declare is different because he went to market without an agent, which is dangerous slash scary territory for any athletes. So as it makes a declare situation separate. But I always wonder about that. Like what are what are the uh, what are the effects well, when you don't have that buffer anymore? I don't know. Well, if you're Drew Doughty and your GM is, is Rob Blake, I think that GM is in a particularly unique situation where he can sort of <laughs> has a leg to stand <laughs> on. He can evaluate your play as a defenseman. So Well as a Hall of Fame defenseman, yeah. Drew <laughs> Can you hold this ring for me while I talk to you? Yeah, Drew Doughty can't uh, give him to watch the games <laughs> uh, or have you play the game argument. Um, with the Ducks, see, here's the I'm, I'm torn between them because on paper, you'd look at it, you go, and maybe this is me holding on to the feelings I had last year, but I'm interested to see Sam Steele, Troy Terry, Max Comtois, Max Jones. Like They have a lot of interesting personnel. I'm a bit worried about Bob Murray's off-season comments right out of the gate where he was like kind of didn't throw Dallas Eakins under the bus maybe even threw himself a little bit under the bus but basically acknowledged that they had too many young players and that he sort of it wasn't an ideal spot and so now I'm curious to see what this season's going to look like for them especially with Ryan Getzlaff entering the last year of his deal turning 36 Mm -hmm. we'll see what his future holds it seems weird to imagine him in a different uniform but um, there's a lot of young talent there it's just there's also veterans and I'm not sure what their end game or agenda is. Now, if we see Trevor Zegers step into this lineup, considering how he's looked in the world juniors, I will be definitely be tuning into ducks games, but um, we'll, we'll still see. Cause it seems like there isn't, there isn't a full appetite there to just completely hand over the keys. It feels like they're kind of trying to walk that fine line with like on a middle ground there. 
But I like that though. Like I don't think you know what was that old saying in the uh, the Oilers room? Uh, earned, not given. And then they handed all these kids, you know, long term contracts and and gave them spots. Uh, I I still see value in putting hurdles in front of guys and making them making them take spots. And that, that's nothing new in sports, and certainly nothing new um, in hockey. I I I I really I like that. Like I like the fact that just the minute you think you have a job, boom, the general manager signs a free agent. Uh, albeit to a, a one-year contract, and that is now the hurdle or that roadblock between you and that position. So th- to me, it's create an environment where you don't give someone a spot, but someone earns it and costs someone else, like an older player, his job there. But you're right. Like there's That is, if if this program works, that is going to be one of the more entertaining teams to watch and I'll throw another name at you. And all those names you mentioned, I think we all anticipate being longtime NHLers. Uh, I love Isaac Lindstrom. Mm-hmm. I think, like, right, like but Patrice Bergeron Light, like that type of player who's going to, you know, play in the league and be a sneaky, sulky, you know, stealth, sulky trophy candidate uh, for years, not unlike players like, you know, Cogliano and Sulferberg were when Ryan Kessler was the headline. You look at, well, what about those other two guys? Like, last time I checked, like, they should probably be in that conversation too. Like, there's a lot of real good young players. To me, the story of Anaheim is, you know, what are they going to do by way of putting players in front of these younger players to force them to take a job? So they make sure that Trevor Zegras doesn't just get handed a position, making sure that Troy Terry doesn't just get handed his spot and you're right there, ditto for for Max Jones or for Sam Steele. That that to me is going to be one of the more curious things with Anaheim. And mind you, they have a goalie that's going to keep them in a lot of games. Yep, yep, no, that's true. Um, the Devils, I had them at 27, right right ahead of the Ducks here. Um, I'm really curious to see what Jack Hughes looks like in year two. He says he added 15 pounds of muscle. Is it 17 up, pounds, 15 pounds. Yeah, he's up to 180. You know. I, I get the idea of rolling your eyes and because every player is in the best shape of their life uh, entering yeah, the season. Yeah, yeah. But when it's a teenager who desperately needed to do so and kind of the biggest knock on him was, is his body NHL ready? I think I will be watching for that because, you know, it's very telling you watch him last year and he was, he was the real deal. He was as advertised in space, right? On the power play in transition, creating breakaways when he had space, he could operate when the game bogged down a little bit, when he was in the offensive zone, that's when defensemen were able to kind of take advantage of him. And so if yeah. he is stronger, he still needs to work on his shot because I don't think it was a complete fluke that he shot 5.7% or whatever. I think there's certainly something to that. He's never going to be a pure shooter. He's going to be much more of a playmaker. But if he adds those elements to his game and he is stronger, I think his year two jump could be could be pretty substantial. And, and that would mean a lot for this Devils team because they drafted him number one for a reason and they need that one-two punch, especially, I guess, now it's just a number one punch as we wait to see when uh, yeah. Nico Hischier is going to be playing. Uh, speaking of Selkie Trophy candidates in the future, Nico Hischier is mm-hmm. going to be in that conversation one day too. You're right. Like the, I'm curious about players. Like I'm curious about Jack Hughes and players like him, players that break the mold of everything we've believed. Like, I remember talking to one scout leaving the, uh, leaving the draft in Vancouver. Um, about uh, the draft, and we were talking about Jack Hughes on the way back to the hotel, and he said, don't like the pick. And I'm like, okay, like, if your team, and their team was not close to selecting number one, like, if you guys had the first overall pick, you wouldn't have taken Hughes. And he says, no, I would have taken Kirby Doc. And I said, why? He says, you name me 
all the centers in the NHL that are smaller than six feet tall. He said, that's a position you have to have size. And if you don't, forget about it. There's there's no way. So I'm I'm always curious about break the mold players. I'm always curious about, you know, can he because whatever, once upon a time, like you couldn't have, you know, the idea of like a five ten defenseman in the NHL was foreign. Just like the idea of a six six goaltender. You know, like, oh no, that's too big, can't move, need to be smaller or more flexible. Now that's flipped between size of goalie and size of defenseman. The six six guy is now your goaltender, the five eleven guy is now your defenseman. So I'm, I am, like you, Dimitri, I'm curious to see what Jack Hughes does. Um, great hockey family. No doubt the guy is high-skilled. And there's a big part of me that's pulling for the guy just for the break-the-mold factor. As the game around Jack Hughes, I think it's safe to say, like the game around someone like Hughes is leaning into his skill set more than leaning away. Like once upon a time... You know that conversation with that scout going back to uh, coming back from the from the uh, the first round of the draft, like that was right. Like no, you just like the way the game was played. You can't have a five ten five eleven center, but you can now. And I think players like Hughes, players like Braden Point, go a long way to disproving that old adage and that old saying. So I'm with you. I'm not only am I curious, I'm actually cheering for the guy. So uh, I see that that mold broken publicly. And I think the strength is a much bigger component than the actual size in terms of height, right? Like if you have the leverage and you you can kind of maintain that body position because you're just built like a tank in your bottom half, then all of a sudden it becomes much easier. And he's had 10 months now or so since we've watched him in NHL games. So it makes sense that that would happen. He'll be armed with better wing talent, whether it's Kusev or Andreas Janssen or or Kapalmieri while he's still there. And listen, he's got a coach now in Lindy Ruff where – I think there's a lot of defensive question marks, especially with the personnel they have in terms of how good they're going to be and how many goals they're going to let up. But mm-hmm. they have Mackenzie Blackwood and Corey Crawford now at net, so they can afford the sort of trade chances a little bit more than when they were relying on, on Corey Schneider. And I think that he's going to give these young players the creative freedom to try stuff, even if it leads to pucks resulting in their ba- in the back of their net. And so for, in terms of aesthetically kind of watching them, I think they're going to be better off for it because... It feels like they're going to be more open to having these kind of track me type of games. You had a good podcast on this with Corey Mastisak not too not too long ago, talking about the Devils, and it reminded me about something that Justin Bourne mentioned um, last season before the uh, before the shutdown, and that was you know we're just having a conversation before the uh, before one of the Hockey Central shows, and Justin just says, "I don't know what it is, but I love watching the New Jersey Devils." And I'm like, why? And he says, there's always something in, again, every New Jersey Devils game with this era of Devils play. Like They're not going to win all their games. Quite the opposite, as a matter of fact. But you're going to come away with something from a New Jersey Devils game. There's going to be one period. There's going to be one power play. There's going to be something from every New Jersey Devils game that gives you cause for pause. And I, and I think he's right about that. Like, I don't think anyone's expecting wins. I think people are expecting a lottery again for the New Jersey Devils in a lot of ways. But there's always something in a New Jersey Devils game that leaves you walking away going, yeah, you know what? That was kind of interesting. That was kind of neat. That was kind of different. Whether it's Jack Hughes on a you know five-on-three power play where he has room to wheel, or whether it's, to your point, you know Nico Heischer you know, showing you that he's you know, the next Sean Couturier or, or whatever it is. But there's usually something in a New Jersey Devils game that, that leaves you coming. There is some flypaper there that has you, has you stick into the games. 
my last bad team here, we, we, I, we're like 50 minutes in and we're, we've done the, 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 the worst 10 teams on my list or so. So we're going to have to rattle through these. But okay, it's the Ottawa Senators. And I don't want to spend too much time on them. I know you have them higher with your North Division as you kind of cheated this assignment. I did. Um, totally. And I did a full deep dive on them with Haley Salvian that we talked about at the top. So people can go listen for my thoughts on that. I think there's a lot to like here, obviously, right? I'm very curious if you told me that we're going to see a ton of Josh Norris and Drake Batherson and Alex Formington, I'd be like, I'm going to watch these Senators games. I want to see what these guys look like. I'm worried, though. I'm worried that based on their offseason, either they don't think those guys are fully ready yet for primetime or because of this North Division, they're thinking we don't really have an appetite to get embarrassed again this season. We are going to play Austin Watson and Derek Stepan and some of these veterans and shelter these guys. And I know what you just said for Anaheim about making the young guys earn it and putting hurdles in their place. But at the same time, a lot of these players are, we're not talking about teenagers anymore. Like Tim Stutzel is a totally different story with some of these other guys. They've been pros for a couple of years now. They've already succeeded at the AHL level. They're in their early twenties. I'm ready to see them stick as full-time NHL players and see what they've got because this team still has a lot of questions about who their future number one center is going to be kind of riding shotgun with, uh, with Brady Kachuk. It's a great question. And I have my eyebrow raised about it as well. Like what do all these signings tell you about how the organization feels about Logan Brown? Like to me, that is a huge question mark right now like you look at the skill and i know everyone focuses on the size like wow a six foot five six foot six center i know 215 220 pound centerman you know second generation player dad was a you know a standout in the nhl for uh, for a long time how does the organization feel about logan brown when you look at what's been placed in front of him now in a season where you know this guy's coming out of his entry level, as you and Haley talked about on the uh, on the last podcast. What does it mean about Josh Norris? You know that these these hurdles are put in front of them uh, right now when they're this close uh, to coming out of entry level. Um, I, I still see the bit the biggest question mark around. And again, we're redoing the podcast you did with Haley around the Senators is um, is is the Brady Kachuk contract and how good this guy can be. Like this guy, I, I don't know. Like I've, I, I love the guy. I, I think he's just such a, a wonderful player in, in all regards. And given, you know, what they did with the Thomas Shabbat deal, is that something that the that Kachuk is is looking at, or does he say, no, nah, you know what? I'll take your two year deal, and then I'm, I'm and I'm going to bet on myself, and then I'm going to ring the bell, and then we'll see how serious you are about paying elite level players. Yeah, he. He doesn't come from a family that necessarily needs the money right now. I would say that um, <laughs> he'll be okay for the next two or three years, and I would certainly bet on myself if I were yeah. him. I think we, we, we laid out this case, but I yeah. mean, his underlying numbers in terms of the chances he generates, like he's going to have a year here where he scores. He won't do it at 56 games this year, but he'll have a year where he scores 35 to 40 goals because he's just living around the net, especially if he has that true number one center. I think Dadanov is going to be a good winger for him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm worried. Like, there's so much Nikita Zaitsev and Erica Branson on this team, though. And we talked about defensemen that can get people to puck. If I knew there was going to be a lot more Eric Brandstrom, I'd be more excited. It seems like he's kind of on the bubble there now, too. So there's stuff to look forward to. But this is a deep league. There's a lot of good, fun teams to watch, right? Like, I, I just had to put the Senators down here because we have to make this list. But um, that really should be the baseline for all of this. Like, yeah. really? 
Like if if you watch hockey long enough, I mean, you can take something out of every single game of and course. say, okay, that was that was. Like, it's almost impossible not to be able to watch a hockey game and not be entertained or taught by something. I mean, even the worst players in the league in, in 2020, 2021 are remarkably talented. It's a much different landscape than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. I always say it about hockey, and it's the same thing for a sport like boxing. You have to be so good just to be that guy that we point to on television and say, ah, oh, this guy can't play. You know how good that guy is? <laughs> you know, like, you know, you know how the, what the barrier to entry is like to the NHL? Like, do you know how good the worst player in the NHL is? It's spectacular, trust me. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to rattle through the rest of our list. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or, if you always wanted to host a podcast but never knew where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As of Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms where you typically get your podcasts. And the best part is, you'll get all of this for only $15 a month. That's essentially the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup without all of those perks. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into this program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this podcast to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right. Um... My my next bucket of teams is the good defensive teams. So I've okay. got the Blue Jackets, I've got the Islanders, who you already mentioned. I've got the Blues, the Stars, the Bruins, and the Wild. And um, we don't have to get too much into the Islanders. I, I am excited to see what Ilya Sorokin looks like at the NHL level. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, Matt Barzell is probably one of the top five, definitely top ten, most exciting players to watch. I think the Islanders' style is going to be really interesting in this shortened, unique season because I think they don't have a lot of wiggle room with their depth and the players they lost in terms of injuries. Like if they lose an Adam Pellick or a Casey Sezikis again like they did last year, I think they're really going to be in trouble. But in terms of grinding on teams and wearing them down and also sort of going max effort for 56 games as opposed to 82, they might in a weird way be uniquely suited to kind of jump on teams right out of the gate because I think that defensive element of theirs is going to translate very well, regardless of, of like, it seems like they've already nailed it down to such a science that I don't think there's going to be a five, 10 game stretch out of the gate where you're like, what are the Islanders doing? They look completely out of sorts. Like, I think they're going to come back looking exactly <laughs> like the team that we just watched in the playoffs. Yeah. Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, like, you know what you're getting from these types of, uh, of, of, of players though. The one guy, and I, I'm with you on, uh, on Ilya Sorokin. I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, here's another, you know, goalie from the, from, from the goalie factory, uh, coming into the NHL. I'm curious to see Noah Dobson. Like that's, that's, that's the one guy for me that I look at and say, all right, so they're down a couple of defensemen. Boy, Chuck retires, as you mentioned, you know, Devon Taves, uh, they lose because of, you know, salary cap issues. What does that mean for a player like Noah Dobson, who, you know, the minute he turns into that, you know, longtime NHLer, may have the most unique skill set of anybody on that blue line? That was like 
there are sometimes you just watch a game because you like the team to your point, you like the style, you like the way the coach, you like the systems. And sometimes you just watch a team just to watch one player. And when it comes to the, when it comes to the Islanders, depending on how, what his usage is, is like under, under Barry Trotz, a former defenseman himself, uh, Regina Pats represent. Um, I, I wonder how they use Noah Dobson and, and how much they, how much they let this guy fly. Cause he really can, if they let them. Yeah. And they have some opportunities there now, whether it's even up front for Wallstrom or, you know, Michael Dalco, we'll, we'll see like there there's young players there that have a chance to grow. Um, the blue jackets, they lump in nicely here with these good defensive teams. And I think you have to keep them down just because last year, only the Dallas stars had fewer combined goals or, um, combined high danger chances in their games. Like they play a pretty low yep. event game and that's by design and they get great results out of it. Similar to the Islanders. They have players. I, I like watching there. And in particular, I'd highlight, uh, Zach Wierenski style. I had a podcast with Jack Hahn a couple maybe a couple months ago now, and he had written about how he has this unique way of creating both defensively and offensively where he basically just zeroes in on the middle of the ice and he kind of like uses it as a funnel where offensively in the ozone, he kind of streaks down the middle and receives passes and creates from there. And that's how he scored 20 goals last season. And then defensively, he like prevents anything from happening there and tries to intercept passes and lead breakouts through the middle. And it's a really unique style in today's game for a defenseman, and he's had great results from it. So if you're watching Blue Jackets games, I'd, I'd highly recommend nerding out on that because it's it's sort of this ta- <laughs> little tactical thing that, that it really gets me going. And you know that Jarmo Kekalainen is still looking to pull the trigger on something. Yep. Right, like the Always. pursuit of Marner didn't didn't end up, you know, getting somewhere with with the, the with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but you know they move Anderson and they bring in and they bring in Domi. Um, but Dimitri, don't you get the sense that Kekalainen is sort of always on the verge of doing something big? Always, because I do, yep. and I, I I still believe that you know heading into the season right now, if there is going to be a blockbuster whatever. I wouldn't be surprised if the Blue Jackets are all over it and bring in that one more, at least one more big name player. You know, they tried with Marner. That didn't go anywhere with that offer sheet dance. I have a hard time believing that they're done. Yeah. And, you know, they brought in Domi this offseason. I think he's going to go a long way towards getting Atkinson back on track from a goal scoring perspective. We saw Liam Foody have a nice, nice little jump in the in the bubble. Um, Texier, Bemstrom, like they, they have fast, eh? They have pieces. Booty's so quick. Yeah, they Ugh. have pieces. But it is a John Tortorella team, and you know that at the end of the day, they're going to prefer to win 2 1 as opposed to 5 4. So it's something to keep in mind when you're talking about from an entertainment perspective. Yeah. And that's uh, that's all fair, yep. uh, all fair. I'm I'm okay on a scale of one to ten. How weird is it going to be to see Miko Koivu in a different jersey? So weird, but he's such a perfect fit for this team. <laughs> he told, of course he is. Yeah, he's a hundred percent great fit for the Blue Jackets. But that's going to be, and I will probably get to talking about Chara here in a second in the mm. Caps jersey. But I don't know, man. Seeing Miko Koivu in a different jersey, I don't know. That's going to be a weird one for me. Well, I'll get used to it, but bizarre. Yeah. Yep. Um, the Stars have a bit of slight fatigue. We just watched them so much on the way to the final. And I gained a pre- an appreciation for them. I think not having Sagan to start the year will hurt from a sort of offensive creation perspective. We all know about Heisken and skating, Klingberg walking the line, keeping in the zone, creating on the power play. Shooting like, high, shooting high. It's beautiful. That secret's out now, right? Yep. But st- good luck stopping it. It's 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 so good. He's so oh, good Oh, that's at just it. it. Yep. 
Um, and, and Nick, Nick Hague, Nick Hague, by the way, James. Okay, so you know the story about um, about uh, uh, about Klingberg shooting high. No. So James Richmond, who's the head coach of the Mississauga Ice Dogs, sorry, Mississauga Steelheads, I'm dating myself, <laughs> Mississauga Steelheads of the OHL, um, was at a Four Nations. I remember how many years ago, obviously before Klingberg joined, and there was one player on Sweden who kept, and he wasn't like hammering it, but kept shooting high, and pucks would just find the top of the net, and it was John John Klingberg. And so he's always waited, he's always wanted, as he's coached the Steelheads now for a few years, um, to find a defenseman he can do that with, someone who's comfortable enough uh, walking the line, as you mentioned, uh, and being able to, to float pucks in high. And this is a curiosity that I will look for because I saw it plenty in the OHL to see if this happens in the NHL as well. The one defenseman he was able to do this with, and this is all based on, you know, uh, 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 on his, on his viewings of, uh, of, of Klingberg at the four, at the four nations, Nick Haig is that guy Vegas golden Knights second round draft pick defenseman of the year. Like was a, is a, was a really good junior player. I wonder if we still see that Nick Haig that floats shots in high. And if so, that is a direct reflection of James Richmond seeing John Klingberg do that at the Four Nations. But you know what else is part of Watch the secret? You know what else is the part of the secret sauce there? It's he's such a uh, unicorn in the sense that like if you look at the work uh Micah McCurdy's done, it shows that as the years have gone on, teams are either kind of going high or low they've cut out the middle of the ice there's a lot of shots from the point and you're just basically shooting and have a hope and a prayer and you're trying to tip it in right and with Klingberg he takes it at the corner and then he slowly walks the line to the middle of the ice and he creates so many angles to either pass or shoot from or create better tips and so that's something I love to see and if I was a young coach or a coaching young players I would be showing them tape of John Klingberg and showing the the reason why it's so important to get to that middle of the ice and how it increases your chances of being effective Lidstrom was the best at that. Yeah, so good. Shocking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the best at everything. Um, <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah, uh, other you know positives here are bonus. The, definitely. The, 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 the other thing about we're gonna pause on, on Dallas. Um, Dennis Gurianov. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, th- you would talk about guys that are poised for you know for for star status in the NHL. Uh, man, can that guy skate? Man, can that guy play? Uh, I think we're all looking now for uh, for Rupe Hins. Uh, to take that night, we had Tyler Sagan on the 31 pod a couple of weeks ago, and Elliot asked him who that next player that we're going to see you as a great personality that finally comes out. And quickly he said, Rupa Hins. Guy's got crazy Euro style. Most you would never be able to tell. You know, the, the you know have the the uh, the English language being a, a little bit of a barrier as far as comfort goes. He said this guy is one of the biggest personalities that nobody knows about in the NHL. So heads up on Rupe Hints. Well, here's a fun stat for you: Hints and Guriano okay. led the team with five on five goals. They had twelve each. No one else in the team had ten, and that includes a team with Radulov, Sagan, Ben Pavelski. They were ninth and tenth. Yeah in five-on-five ice time for stars forwards. And so I would like to see them get more opportunity this year. And if they do, the stars can move up this list because they're really exciting players and and they're so different than a lot of their other forwards. Radulov's kind of turned into a stop-and-start player for me and I think for a lot of people as well. Well, there'll be like that stretch of 10 games where, oh man, Radulov's a beast. And then 10 games where, did Radulov play? He's almost become that guy now, has he? But when he's on and when he's, Going hard to the net, as we've seen before, um, he's a, a force. But he's become that 
stop and start player, Dimitri, I think, for me. What do we think about the Blues? Because last year they were the slowest paced team in the league in terms of uh, yes. shot generation. So they had some changes, which I'm interested to see, right? Replacing Petrangelo with Krug, bringing in Mike Hoffman. They have young players who are already in the lineup and can take steps. Oh, no, Hoff, Hoff, Hoffman's just a PTO. Yeah, we'll see where, uh, we'll see where he ends up. No, it's just no, just a PTO, Dimitri, <laughs> and nothing on the... <laughs> we'll see where that goes. Yeah. We don't know where he'll... At. I'm, you know, I'm crazy about there, Robert Thomas. Like I'll I'll watch the Blues for uh, for a, a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, I love Ryan O'Reilly. Mm. Uh, it would be a wish used to always just roast me about like nonstop. Like oh, here comes the Ryan O'Reilly love in and the old MVSW pod. But um, still love O'Reilly. Um, but I'm I'm really curious to see if this is going to be the season where Robert Thomas emerges as that next level star. As you want to talk about a player that can that can do it all at the position, I think I think Thomas is that guy. Are they the fastest team in the uh, in the NHL? Uh, not by any stretch uh, of the imagination. Um, the loss of Petrangelo is going to be a tough one. Um, I think that's you know that's more ice time, obviously, and and more uh, more dynamic situations for someone like Colton Pareko. Um, but I, I, I still find some value in, in watching a lot of St. Louis blues games, whether it's the, uh, whether it's the style, albeit maybe the slowest in the NHL. Um, but even just to see what's going to happen with, with Robert Thomas, well, that guy, that guy to me could be breakout star this year. I'd add Jordan Kyrie to that list too. I think, uh, who makes the team fast. Yeah. When you talk about, he steps onto the ice. He's the fastest player on the blues. He is. And, right. There were, it was a good lateral for them when they lost Petrangelo and they knew he was out the door to bring in Krug because he's kind of a perfect fit for this team if you think about it because they do have Golden Pareko, right? So either they can split those guys up and just keep Pareko yeah. and Scandella together and just give Krug more sheltered minutes and, and let him focus on the power play or they can potentially put Krug and Pareko together as this kind of weird oddball couple and uh, and, and see how that goes. <laughs> like, the, the, There's definitely personnel there to play with and with Hoffman, similarly, you talk about oddball couples, like this team really missed some offensive pop without Ter- Tarasenko in the lineup and I know Hoffman didn't really... You'd think he would have been great with Barkov, for example, and they really struggled together two years ago. But if there's anyone they can cover for his defensive flaws and get him the puck in places to score, it will be Ryan O'Reilly. So if, you know, we'll see if Hoffman makes this team, of course, he has to try out and show himself well in camp. But if he somehow makes the Blues, um, that'll be an interesting fit as well. So there's stuff to look forward to here. Um, What do you make of Vince Dunn? Uh, I like Vince Dunn a lot. Awesome player. I, I I just wonder if that's one of those one of those players that's undervalued by the franchise that he's with, or has too many players ahead of him, and that because it, the the Vince Dunn trade rumors, I mean Dimitri, you know they've been out there for a while. I remember it was like last Christmas. We were all like, hmm, well, so how how much how much luggage did did Vince Dunn take home uh, at, uh, at at the Christmas break? Like I I, I really wonder if that's going to be if that's going to be a piece that that some some forward-thinking team says, "Hey, St. Louis Blues, uh, let me uh, relieve you of this Vince Dunn issue you have. You just sort of kicked the contract down the road another year, uh, another season, signing him to the one-year one-year deal, and this guy becomes a star somewhere else." Yeah, he would have been a player I would have been targeting heavily this off-season, but as we know, uh, no fun happens in the NHL, and offer sheets are forbidden. So, uh, no point <laughs> relitigating that. Um, the Bruins. Let's quickly go through the Bruins here because it's kind of the classic, sure. like you know, the Bruins. You know what you're going to get for them, and and 
they have their positives. I think, you know, we'll see what the timelines for Pasternak and Marshana when they come back. And I think that ties into one of the things I'm most interested with this team is one of the trends the past couple of years has been, and they've smartly progressively ratcheted down Patrice Bergeron's usage, right? He never plays all the games anymore. Um, his ice time has steadily been declining. If you look at the five on five usage, he played 12 minutes and three seconds per game last year, which was the lowest he's played since 2007, 2008. That's like the same as Chandler Stevenson to give you a comparison. And you would never put those two players in the same ballpark mm. in terms of five on five usage. And that's smart. Like they play him, they pick their spots more with him. They want him to be ready come the pl- playoffs. If Pastor Pasternak's probably going to miss at least a month, it sounds like Marshawn might actually come back for the start of the year. But without yep. those guys, they're going to need to lean on him a bit more heavily. And we'll see how he holds up and, and what that looks like. But I think that's sort of this kind of sneaky little trend to watch as the season starts for the Bruins. Couple of curiosities here. Uh, what type of season does Jake DeBrusque have with the Boston Bruins? And the the other one, when you when you consider, you know, this is now Charlie McAvoy's blue line. Uh, there's a lot of pressure now on Matt Grizzlick. Mm-hmm. Again, we're gonna, I think we're going to find out real fast because he's going to get a, a a ton of minutes and be put in a ton of great situations for himself. Is how good is Matt Grizzlick? Yep, I think he's really good. How? How good? How good can this guy be? We all suspect like that this guy is going to be able to to handle it. Well, now we're gonna now we're gonna find out. But this is like I know a lot of people had had. Uh, I'm not sure if you had him on there on on your ballot, but like McAvoy was on a lot of people's Norris ballots um, by the end. I know that Elliot. I think I think Elliot had him in his in, in his in his top five uh, as well. But this is this is McAvoy's blue line now. Like this is now like. Char is out. This is this is McAvoy's back in. But how is that's one of my weird questions. Like, how is Charlie McAvoy not more celebrated in in NHL circles? If you think about it, he's the number one defenseman on an original six franchise in a big American market. He's American. He's young. He plays an exciting style. Like you would think this would be someone the NHL, especially in the states, would be really marketing as like one of our one of our stars. And who has Charlie McAvoy conversations? At every single level of his career, he's been a superstar. Like you look at like every year playing youth hockey, going all the way up through the through the juniors, like all of it. This guy's been an absolute stud, and has been a a, a, a total star. Um, and that was like that was a that was a that was a real. I remember at that draft, someone from the Bruins table telling me that the decision they had to make, there was two defensemen. They were taking the D at that spot, and it was between Charlie McAvoy and Dante Fabro. That was the decision, Working and he well said well. it was a pretty quick conversation. <laughs> but those were the two. Yep. There you go. I saw some for the draft geeks. Um, there, there's that was a decision the Bruins had to make. All right, we're inside my top twenty. This is exciting. So I, I have the Wild at nineteen, which is arguably my most speculative pick. Where do you you had them? Right, you already listed them off on yours. Uh yeah, they were still in that in the twenties, uh, right? Yeah, in yeah, still still in the twenties for so me. So here's my argument for them. I know they're they have this rep as who's playing mo- center. Who's playing center on that team, by the way? Who's the first line center on that team now? Well, I think they're thinking it's Marcus <laughs> Johansson, which ten games they into have, the season they, they're going to realize is not the case. They have about ten guys auditioning right now. Yes. Well, I think they're they're viewing Marco Rossi as that player down the road, right? And hundred percent. But so they have this rep as the most kind of bland defensive team in the league, and deservedly so. This is year twenty of Minnesota Wild hockey. Gabrick, Parise, Stahl, and Zucker, and Brian Rolston are the only players to ever score thirty goals for this team. They have not had a lot of offensive talent. 
But you look now, Kevin Fiala at the end of last year finally had the breakout we were all looking for. In the final 22 games of the year, which includes the series against the Canucks, he had 17 goals and 13 assists. Um, Kirill Kaprizov coming over. He had the best 22-year-old season on a points-per-game basis in KHL history. Second is Alex Radulov. Fifth is Artemi Panarin. He was right there with Vlad Tarasenko in terms of KHL production at the same age, ahead of Evgeny Kuznetsov. You never know how players are going to translate coming over, obviously. But if you just look at all the comparables for Kaprizov and you just watch him play, it's pretty clear the skills are very legit. It's not some random fluke playing in a different league. And so you put Kaprizov and Fiala together. I don't care who's playing down the middle for them. Just get them the puck, get out of the way, and I think goals will be scored. <laughs> and I can't believe I'm saying this, but so this I, is, I want to watch the Minnesota Wild this season. Yeah, this is this is the Vegas philosophy of let's let's heavy up on the wings and the blue line and have a good goaltender and uh, outwork everybody. You know, it's um, you can see where they're going. Like you see where where Garen's going with this team, and it's a it's a good direction. Kaprizov's one of the reasons why you want to watch uh, Minnesota this year, just to see how good this guy can be. Um, I do still uh, come back to that same point, whether it's, you know, you mentioned uh, Johansson, whether it's Benino or whether it's, you know, going back to Rask, whether it's Bukestad, who I still see more as a winger than a, than a center. Um, Joel Eriksson, uh, who's been uh, handed, uh, you know, those top two centers positions at, uh, at various times as well. Like I still don't know, maybe even Nico Sturm that you can throw into that conversation. They have so many guys that are available for those first two center positions on that team. But you're right, like Johansson by way of, you know, veteran status and contract and all of it um, seems to be, uh, seems to be the the way that they're leaning. But I, I just don't know when you consider how important a position it is for a team like the Minnesota wild to have good centers. I just, I just don't see anyone there that screams first line guy. Like I think they have a bunch of centers that you could, you know, if you if you squint really hard, kind of see as second line guys, and 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 your bottom two center spots. I just there's there's no one there. Like once they made that stall move, like there's just there's no one there that I can see grabbing that that first line center spot. I am happy to be proven wrong on all of this. Like I agree with you. I think I think Rossi is 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 the guy they envision taking that spot, but. I just I just don't see anyone there that's going to satisfy that first line center hole at all. No, I, I don't think you're wrong, and I'm not I'm not trying to make an argument to the contrary by any means. I do think that that Vegas model of replicating that is is interesting from the sense that they have a defenseman that can clearly move the puck up the ice, and basically I think the the role of their centers is going to be much more defensively minded, where guys like Erickson and Ekin and Benino can probably thrive, and you're basically yeah. just taking a lot off their plate and going. Okay, there's two places in the ice. You basically need to stand. Your your uh, list of roles is very limited. You just do these things well and let our wingers and our defensemen carry the puck and create offensively. And that's not a bad recipe. Uh, it's at least kind of a stopgap until Rossi comes up, until they maybe draft someone else down the line. And so um, at least I'll, I'll be curious to see both if Fiala can carry over a success and be a legitimate bona fide superstar and what Kaprizov looks like. And I think those two are, are worth tuning in for. I hope Minnesota does well eventually uh, just because it's a great hockey market and you always want to see great teams in great hockey markets. And you're right. Like there really hasn't been a ton to be excited. I mean, they're that, I mean, the, the, the classic mushy middle team, right? Just do enough, get in the playoffs, get scotched in the first round, wash, rinse, repeat, do it all again the next season. That's kind of what it's historically always been for the Minnesota wild. 
Who do you have? And next? the fan base is created the state is <laughs> <laughs> It's Minnesota. Yeah. Like they have their own name for hockey pants. Like nowhere else in the world are these things called breezers other than Minnesota. Like they have a really unique and interesting <laughs> hockey culture. There's tons of great hockey fans there. Please give them a great NHL team. I'm with you. Who do you have next on your list? Because I feel like we've been rattling through my list, and let's get back to yours a little bit. Ah, uh, where was I? Well, I mean, I'm. We're probably sort of. I'll go right above St. Louis here, and we're getting into my sort of like getting getting good and interesting mm-hmm. uh, teams to watch. And in that one, t- Colorado is top of the list. I know I've excluded the the entire North here, uh, but I've got that that list of uh, Vegas, Carolina. The Flyers, the Bolts, and the Rangers mm. all in there with uh, with the Colorado Avalanche as well. And I wonder if this is the year where finally, and again, everyone listening to this podcast right now is going to say, but the goaltending's stupid. I just wonder if this is the year that Carolina becomes it. Yeah, I have Carolina at seven on my list. Uh, they play with pace. Their games are fun to watch. They're always a candidate. You talked about Kekalainen and the Blue Jackets. I think the Hurricanes are a candidate to make a splash trade just because of how many assets they have and how much flexibility they have. Um, you know, I'm excited. Slavin and Hamilton are awesome to watch together. I think that top line of Aho, Terabine, and Svechnikov, which we saw like 300 minutes of last year, was just unreal. And I want to see a full so season of them. So Best line in the NHL when they're on, when they're clicking. I know it's Boston right up there. fans. They're really I know, good. I know, but they're fantastic. Um. I have three teams here, so I don't want to spend too much time on the Panthers, Flames, Predators. I had them in my middle of, middle of the pack, sort of, because they're teams that made big changes this offseason, and I'm curious to see what they look like. Is there any of those three teams that interest you? Uh, Preds are always interesting because I, I keep sort of scratching my head and, and trying to figure out sort of what's gone wrong and, and how it seems to be how it seems to be expedited each and each and uh, and every season. And you look at them on paper and you say to yourselves, how can this team? you know, not perform like where, where is this all gone? I mean, maybe you look at the entire forward group and you say, well, you know, this isn't a team that was drafted and developed and all, you know, grew up in the same organization. These are all trades or signings, whether it's Johansson or Forsberg or Duchesne or like go, go right down the, the entire list. Um, this isn't a, a, a team that's, that's grown up together. Um, and then, you know, you wonder about a couple of things. You wonder about the aging out of, of Pecorine, and you wonder, you know, how long a team can trade so many elite defensemen and not have it finally catch up to them. And I wonder if we're at that spot now with the with the Nashville Predators. And again, they can't score goals. Well, here's the thing. they We thought they'd go big game hunting. They brought back Granlin. Makes sense. They brought in Arakala. I think they're strong down the middle. It worries me because last year we saw when John Hines came in and coached his team, he was very into rolling lines and not playing favorites. And like Philip Borsberg should be playing more. I think the fact that he played the same amount as Rocco Grimaldi under John Hines is a travesty, and that cannot continue. And I think if he played his stars more, I know he plays Ellis and Yossi a lot, but I want to see Forsberg get fully unleashed because he's one of the most talented players in the league. He is, and he should be a perennial 40-goal guy. Like, when you look at just pure skill on that team, like, just pure skill, the conversation begins and ends with Forsberg, right? Uh, yep, yep, it does. Okay, I'm going I'm to rattle through these teams Go here. It. So I got the Sabres at 15. 
I've got the Canadians at 14, the Sharks at 13, the Jets at 12, the Penguins at 10, or the Flyers at 11, the Penguins at 10, the Capitals at 9, the Rangers at 8, the Hurricanes at 7. And then we get into that true elite tier with the Lightning, the Canucks, the Knights, the Oilers, the Leafs, and the Avalanche. Do you want to talk about the North Division real quick here? Like you, you said you you lumped them all together. I guess it's I just lumped to... them all. I I just I just I just think everything. I just think that every single game, no matter what the combination is, is going to be so emotionally charged that it's going to be. And again, I'm speaking as a Canadian hockey viewer. I get that someone right now in New York or in Denver or in Washington is saying like, hey, you know, like okay, the Canadian flag poured maple syrup on you, like calm down here there are other teams and other divisions i just think that this is for canadian hockey fans this is a gift in a horrible season in the middle of a pandemic this is a treat um because this is going to be this is going to be a lot of a lot of emotionally charged games that have hysterical as you well know dimitri reactions to it on Vancouver Twitter, Calgary Twitter, Toronto Twitter, you name it. I think the whole thing is going to be fantastic. Yeah, even like the Canadians, who I think people think of as this team that doesn't have a top gear or high-end talent, I just don't think that's true, right? Like you look at that top line of Tatar, Deneau, and Gallagher, they've been one of the most effective five-on-five lines in the league. Their power play has just sucked the past couple of years, so they don't have crazy point totals, but like they can go toe-to-toe with all of these teams. And so I have my reservations about a team like the Canucks, for example, but when you're talking about Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes on the ice, you're going to be watching them. And so with each of these teams, there's like something you have to watch for. My biggest deliberation was the top three, where it was Toronto, Edmonton, and Colorado. And I was trying to like sort of, I knew I was going to have Colorado number one because I I would have watched every single one of their games this year. But between Toronto and Edmonton, where Toronto is obviously deeper but when you have a team with Connor McDavid and Leandre Seidel, you and especially how much they play, like they're almost always on the ice, so you kind of have to watch that team. So it was tough for me to sort of pick between the top teams. But I guess people listening to this podcast are going to go like, "Man, I can't believe these guys just spent forty-five minutes talking about the California teams <laughs> and the Detroit Red Wings, and then they just glossed over the top five teams in the league." But like That's we fair. know, what what are we going to say? Like, yes, Colorado has a ton of great players and must be watched everyone knows that there's nothing very interesting for us to sort of un- unveil there look colorado is the only question again is the goaltending like that's it like er- everywhere else including prospect pipeline and here comes byram and here comes new hook like e- everywhere you go everything's coming up sackic the only question is the goaltending can it all be undone by questionable, if not average or questionable goaltending. That to me is the only question about the avalanche. Like this is a team that has, you know, made, you know, uh, big money short-term offers um, to players, whether it's most recently, you know, Taylor Hall, of course, ended up going to Buffalo Sabres on a, on a big one-year deal. Uh, but they offered like big money to Artemi Panarin on a, on a short-term deal before he signed with the uh, uh, with the New York Rangers. Like, they know, like, internally, they know they have one of the biggest gifts in the NHL, and that's Nathan McKinnon's contract. And their time to win is now, and they are going for it. Thank you. Uh, my only question about them is, is the goaltender. Like, like, I'm with you. Like, what more can we say about this team? What more can you say about the, or like, how many times can you say, wow, it sure looked like they thought they had Markstrom, 
Uh, and this was the fallback plan was to go back to the same two. And here we are back with the same two. Um, I think the Oilers are a much improved team, specifically on the third line. Um, and I don't know that I would want to play a team that ha- that faces off against a ticked off and maybe insulted in some ways Connor McDavid, hmm. who is the best player in the NHL, period. Yeah. It's crazy for the Avalanche that they have this blue line of Makar, Gerard, and um, and Dylan Taves, and then they're going to add Bowen Byram at some point. It's like the most mobile, puck friendly, puck moving friendly blue line ever. Um, puck goes in, puck goes out, puck goes in, puck goes out. Is there any team we we haven't really talked about that you wanted to highlight? We kind of rattled through those top ones pretty fast. Um, you mentioned the Buffalo Sabres a couple of seconds ago. I don't yes. really want to spend too much time, but I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to see Rasmus Dahlin take that next step. Uh, I love Jack Eichel. I think we're all on the same page about just how great this guy is. Uh, to me, he's uh, in that conversation of players. And you mentioned Vancouver with with Pedersen and, and, uh, and, and Quinn Hughes. Players you would pay to watch. Like, just go to watch that one guy. I'll go to any Buffalo Sabres game or watch any Buffalo Sabres game just to watch Jack Eichel. Uh, he's that dominant. I would be really curious to see what happens with him and, and Taylor Hall this season uh, and where the Sabres are at. Um, they're in a real tough division. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you look at, like, big losers in the division shuffling, you know, Buffalo, if you had playoff aspirations, uh, sorry about your luck the way that you've been you've been shuffled here. But they have a lot of pressure. They need to have something to show for this season and uh, how those two play off of each other and whether they're a, a long-term fit together or whether they're on separate lines is really interesting to watch. Um, the Sharks were a team that I had no idea how to rank. Like I had them 13th on my list because you can see the scenario where they get healthy and there's a lot of star players to watch there, but it could also go horribly wrong very quickly. And so I'm not sure. Like They could either be the 25th most fun team or the 7th most fun team based on how their health turns out. Man, that is a that is a real tough one. I, I I don't know what to make of San Jose. Again, you look at them and you say, how can they have this record when and maybe you just say, well, you know, they got goalied. Like it didn't matter what they do, they got goalied at the at the end of it. That's what happened to them. But I'll be really curious to see what happens with Eric Carlson this season, because I don't know, Dimitri, I don't know about you, but I don't know who Eric Carlson is right now. Like who's Eric Carlson right now? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know who. Like, there's a, there's a there's a lot of players that I like that I like on this team, and I think there's a lot of players that everybody likes on this team. Um, but I I wonder if this is like if it if it unravels again this season. One, if you're Doug Wilson, what do you do? Two, when you look at all the long term contracts that you've signed, are you even in any position to do anything? When you look at the long term deals, you have Kane and Couture and Carlson, like. All these players on all of a sudden now, Brent Burns and Vlasic are on long-term deals at big dollars. Can you really do anything, even if you wanted to? Yeah, they're kind of in limbo. They're sort of held hostage by the situation. It's their own doing, so they don't have anyone to blame for about themselves. But yeah, like if, if they're healthy, they have upside, but there's a lot of question marks, and so it was really tough to rank them. Um, all right, I think, I think that's good. Like We went an hour and a half here. Um. Yeah. You want to do the thing on on Vegas? You want to do Vegas real quick? Yes, yeah, so I had them fourth on my list, and I considered cracking yeah, them into my top three. Um, just a clinical five on five team. I love watching them impose their style and will on opposing teams. Mark Stone's defense transcends the genre. It's Datsukian. Just watch yep. how quickly he takes the puck, but then 
immediately transitions into offense and does something aggressive with it as opposed to kind of kicking it back to a defenseman. Um, I'm curious to see the the fit between Petrangelo and Theodore there, how they divvy up those premium offensive minutes. But it's going to be a really fun team to watch with a ton of talent. Oh, you always get Theodore Petrangelo on the ice. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, that's... Talk about a luxury. Uh, you have it right there. Here, Here's one thing. The game within the game. I wonder. I wonder, Dimitri, as I get out my shaved ape hockey card. I wonder, as I am used to collect hockey fight tapes for a living. Hmm. I wonder if this is the season we finally a goalie player fight. I know I'm sounding like Cro-Magnon man here discussing hockey fights. You think Leonard's going to beat it, someone up? Uh, uh, well, who do you think it might be? <laughs> do you think we see Robin Leonard and Evander Kane? We always love you know the Ryan Reeves, Evander Kane side. But don't forget, Leonard was involved in this as well. He's not shy about it. The last one, the last goalie player fight we saw would have been Ray Emery and Andrew Peters, I believe. Do we see another one this time with Robin Leonard and Evander Kane? Well, it just feels like a lot of the time Robin Leonard just takes off his mask and stares someone down with those crazy eyes, and then people are just like, all right, the situation got diffused. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But um, yeah, it'll be certainly be interesting to watch. I I wish we spent more time talking about those sort of Metro Division monsters. I get, there's no Metro Division this season, but you know, with the Flyers, with the Penguins, with the Capitals, even the Rangers, there's what, so okay, many storylines. What, what do you make of of, uh, of the Flyers saying, "Hey, Sam Moran, essentially, like we're trying to save your career here. Do you want to play wing?" I mean, they had no other choice. He clearly wasn't an NHL defenseman. <sighs> wow. I mean, I re- I remember watching him when he played Ramuski, and he was big, and he was the toughest player in the queue, and and all of that. And Paul Holmgren fell in love with, surprisingly, that player and you looked at him and you said that guy looks like a philadelphia flyer i i just wonder how difficult it is mentally to have your organization come to you and and essentially say if you want to save your job you have to do you have to play a different position it's tough it's got to be tough it's tough that's Um, got to be so hard but you're right listen rangers have some great stories like are we going to see a goalie win the calder this year no it's, uh, well he could but i think kaprizov has to be the favorite based on what we talked about but yeah i mean just starting i'm curious to see who's lafreniere gonna play with uh can mika zibetajad keep scoring a million goals like there's a if lot they, if they knew they were gonna get first overall and of course they wouldn't have would they have re-signed chris Kreider? yeah it's a bit of a logjam there but you can never have too many good players um i will say that so left, that left side is stacked with the rangers here's what i'll say to fans that wanted more on these teams go back and listen i did a deep dive on the penguins of jesse marshall i've got a deep dive of the capitals coming with the great samantha pell soon um we'll talk more about the rangers obviously so no shortage of content on them jeff let's get out of here plug uh can Let's, I can I do some really can I do some yep. really quick? Well, we're talking about we're talking about watchability, and I want to go outside the NHL really quickly. Okay. And something that just from a personal point of view, I'm I'm really curious about this year. Um, uh, the uh, women's worlds are still scheduled for Halifax in April. Okay. Um, I know I, I think Hockey Canada has asked the WHF maybe to push it into May. I'm not sure. Uh, but that's going to be high watchability for me for a couple of different reasons. One, uh, Alina Mueller, who plays at Northeastern, she's uh, she's Swiss, um, who is like just this remarkable 22 year old, like phenomenal 
young hockey player. So really excited to see her at the Women's Worlds this year. And Sarah Fillier, mm. who's a uh, 20-year-old from Princeton, um, who is like... Remember when Marie-Philippe Poulain, Dimitri, was all of us becoming that next Canadian superstar? Yep. And it was, you know, it was the, you know, of course, the the, uh, the Olympics where, where she really made a name for herself. But Marie-Philippe Poulain was back in like 2009. Sarah Fillier is now. Like that's the next Canadian superstar women's hockey player to come. She is a complete force. Um, and she's going to be, and she already is, just a dynamic, terrific player. Um, so I just want to acknowledge if I have a little platform Good. here. Women's World Championships, Sarah Fillier for Canada, Alina Mueller for Switzerland, uh, two outstanding athletes. Keep your eyes on them, and fingers crossed the women uh, can have their World Championship and Team Canada camp opens up in Calgary uh, 16th or 17th, I believe, later on this month. So Awesome. Cool. Yeah, I highly recommend co-sign that. Um, all right, Jeff, plug some stuff. Where can people check you out? TV, podcast, all that stuff. Yeah, I'll be I'll be on the Magic Eyeball again soon as we get the uh, the season started. Other than that, it's uh, it's Hockey Central uh, Monday to Friday uh, at Sportsnet five ninety the Fan uh, podcast uh, with that guy that I carry every week, Elliot Friedman. Yep. Um, and who knows? And oh, at the uh, the Hey Berkey special uh, animated feature that we have now, which is. Uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I look and sound a lot better animated than I do in real life, Dimitri, as I've found My no, wife always reminds me. You sound great. It's awesome to have you back on the podcast, Jeff, and we'll have to do this sometime again soon. Have a good one, man. No problem. Thanks, Dimitri. Always a pleasure. It's a, it's a must-listen podcast. Glad to be on it. Cheers. All right, so that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast. Hopefully you enjoyed the 2021 edition of the Watchability Rankings. Uh, one thing there's no doubt about no matter what is that jeff merrick was in in prime forum with his random stories uh and that's why we love him and that's why he's one of the very best and that's why i had to have him on the show so from my perspective i guess i should have known in advance that we'd run super long when i scheduled him for this exercise and uh it was 90 minutes but honestly it could have been four hours if we kept going at an early pace and we got into everything that i had in my show notes for all 31 teams it was it was very ambitious i I got so into the conversation that at some point I remember looking at the clock and seeing we'd spend over an hour and we covered like eight teams. And so I knew it was going to be speed round style the rest of the way, but that's okay. Cause I think, uh, I think it was a lot of fun and I think we'll have plenty of time to talk about the other teams that we only skimmed past in this one, uh, down the road. I know it's a little odd, uh, spending so much of the time talking about the bottom teams that aren't the most interesting by any means but i figure that once the season gets going we're going to be spending most of our time talking a lot about the teams at the top that are winning games and have all the best players and are sort of the usual suspects so if you're a fan of one of those teams and uh you're coming away from this one bummed a little bit because we didn't get into a full discussion about them i promise you they will make it up uh on future shows uh i've already got some deep dive scheduled on teams like the capitals and the rangers as i mentioned and We've already done plenty of extensive deep dives throughout the offseason on other teams like the Sabres and, and the Canucks that we breeze through. So if you haven't checked those out and you're wondering about them, uh, definitely go back into our archives and catch up on that. We've got a lot of fun content coming in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got all sorts of preview shows to go along with the team deep dives. We're going to do a show about breakout players. We're going to do the usual position rankings. We're going to do team over-unders and, and awards and prop bets. Uh, we're going to do a fantasy preview. It's all going to be a blast. So in the meantime, you can help us out by smashing that five-star button and leaving us a quick little review. It's super easy to do. 
and it's really appreciated and it helps us a lot. And if you're really busy and you don't feel like writing out a full review, just click the five stars and, and that should do the trick. So thanks to everyone that's already done it. Thanks to everyone that's about to do it. And uh, I hope you all have a happy new year. Uh, thank you for supporting the show in 2020. We're going to be back soon with plenty of other preseason content. So until then. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.